Welcome to The Sipping Point, where each week we explore the recipe for a delicious life. I'm your host, Lori Forrester, the wine coach, and I've made it my mission in life to demystify wine one glass at a time. So expect a fresh and fun approach to the world of wine, spirits, food, and so much more. This week on The Sipping Point, we'll talk about how to eat and drink gluten-free. First, we'll talk to cider maker at Angry Orchard, David Sipes, to hear about how to make these delicious ciders and how they can be part of a gluten-free lifestyle. Then the gluten-free girl, Shauna Ahern, joins us to talk about how to live gluten-free and still enjoy gourmet meals. So for the sips of the week, as we always do, we're going to feature a couple ciders. And on the line, I have David Sipes, cider maker at Angry Orchard. He studied, get this, at the University of California at Davis, where all the best winemakers study. But he has a BS in fermentation science. Sometimes I feel like I do, too, but more from the sipping experience. But when he graduated, he worked at a brewery in California and then began working on cider recipes 15 years ago when he joined the Boston Beer Company. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm happy to be here. Me too. And you know what? My husband is a huge cider fan. So Angry Orchard for real is always in our beer fridge and we have a separate beer fridge. <laughs> so I'm familiar with the product and it seems to be a really popular category right now. I mean, you hear so much about the craft beer, but tell me what makes hard cider different. It's it, it is interesting and really exciting to see uh, all, all the growth in the uh, in the category right now. Um, cider is relatively unknown to most drinkers in the U.S. And while it has a long history, um, you know, popular in colonial times due to the wide availability of apples, it, it pretty much disappeared uh, through prohibition. And drinkers are just kind of rediscovering it now, um, recognizing the complexity and versatility of a really refreshing drink, goes great on its own, pairs really well with foods, and is at a home in cocktails. So really exciting to see that. And one of the things that I think is really great about cider is that more and more people are seeming to have issues with gluten and celiac and just maybe even trying to afford, you know, just avoid gluten. And cider is gluten-free, correct? That is correct. Naturally gluten-free. The gluten is coming generally from cereal grains, particularly wheat. And um, while this is all from fruit juice, uh, it is naturally gluten-free and absolutely a great choice for anyone who suffers from a a gluten intolerance or even even those who have made a conscious choice to uh, reduce gluten in their diets. Great. Well, on the we have two ciders of yours that we are sampling, and the first one is the crisp apple. So, tell me a little bit about about that and what makes that so popular. Do you think? Absolutely. Well, I can just talk a little bit about um, you know the, the history of, of Angry Orchard in general, um, sure. and kind of where we came from and and, and what makes our, our ciders unique. Um, you know, when cider disappeared in the U.S. Uh, around the uh, you know prohibition time, so too did most of the apples. And while the U.S. Uh, grows a lot of apples currently, they're primarily for the fresh fruit market. Um, great for eating, not necessarily the best for making cider. Uh-huh. So really, what sets what sets us apart is is we've chosen apples that are really unique and well suited to making cider. Uh, we get bittersweet apples from France, specifically mm-hmm. Normandy and Brittany, and these are you know, bred and selected specifically for making cider. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, you know, similar language that uh, winemakers would use in terms of tannin and bricks and acidity. Uh, we're looking for the same things in our apples. 
And um, in addition to the bittersweet apples, we use culinary apples from, from Italy. This is the Sud Tyrol region. And while these are varieties that are typical and, and common, um, similar to wine grapes, uh, the terroir there is really special and uh, creates uh, creates apples with a little more acidity, a little more complexity and structure. Um, so, you know, we really liken a lot of these to, to, to wine in a lot of ways. If you want to go ahead and uh, and open the crisp apple. Yeah. Ab- oh, I hear that. <laughs> you're going to join me. And Absolutely. yeah, you're, you're speaking my language because when you talk about different varieties, like we have grape varieties and terroir, meaning the expression of the place on the grape or the apple, if you will, it's very, very similar to what we would say when we were describing different types of wines. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I look at it in terms of the soil. Uh, if you look at where the, the culinary apples are grown, uh, foothills of the Alps, it's uh, long days in the summertime, cool, crisp nights, uh, really produces a, a complex and interesting fruit that, that makes a wonderful cider. Um, and it, you know, the crisp apple itself, um, just poured a little glass of it. I'm looking at the brilliant clarity, nice golden hue. And uh, the first thing, first impression on the nose is just fresh apples. It's like yes. biting into a juicy apple, luscious, really fruit forward. Um, similar characteristics come through on the taste. Uh, you get initial sweet impression, a lot of juice, a lot of apple, um, but with a really balanced acidity on the finish. Yeah, and that makes me um, think food. When I drink a wine that gives me that same um, aspects, I think, ooh, great, a food-friendly wine. So speaking of that, what would you pair, and I know we have another cider we can taste, but just with the crisp apple, what would be your favorite food pairing for that? Uh, ciders in general uh, occupy a similar space in terms of sweetness and acidity, and, and they all, uh, I think the whole Angry Orchard family goes really well with the same general family of foods, but um, anytime we're pairing, be it a wine, a beer, or a cider, uh, we're looking for something that either complements the food um, or contrasts it or just kind of cuts through heavy flavors. Um, you know, I find that the, the ciders and crisp apple in particular go great with cheeses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the light carbonation, the acidity kind of cleans the palate each after each bite and sets itself up for another. You know, any kind of mild blue cheeses, cheddars, things of that nature, or manchego or an aged Mahone, uh, any oh. kind of hard cheeses really go nicely with the crisp apple. I'm going to try um, the blue cheese. That sounds really delicious. Absolutely. No, they, yeah. they play really nicely together. Wonderful. And, and speaking of playing together, you guys have been playing around and have a new flavor called elderflower. And this is a elderflower seems to be a big hit in a lot of cocktails now, too. So it's a very trendy flavor. Tell me about that particular um, cider and how it came to be. Yeah, we've um, throughout the whole range of, uh, of the Angry Orchard family, we've used different combinations of, of the, the bittersweet apples from France and the culinary apples from Italy. And different kind of tannin and acidity structures lend themselves to different uh, different flavor profiles. Uh, with the elderflower, we wanted something that was really light, refreshing, approachable. It's a little heavier in the culinary varieties, uh, but found that the elderflower was a wonderful complement to, to the cider notes. Um, the tropical fruit characteristics, the slight herbal qualities, little little lychee, little pear, little citrus, um, all works really well um, in the in the cider with uh, complementing the apple juice notes. It really is delicious. I mean, it's it's wonderful. And I know a big um, trend nowadays is using beer in cocktails. And are you seeing any of that with ciders? Is that something different that people might do with the cider as well? 
Absolutely. As, as a cider maker, I'm a bit of a purist, and I think they stand really well on their own. Sure. Um, but we're seeing a lot of opportunities uh, with cocktails. Uh, we've got a mixologist that we've been working with on a number of different, uh, different recipes. Um, the elderflower in particular, those tropical fruit notes work really well with, uh, for instance, a gin, a vodka, or silver tequilas, things of that nature. So um, the whole concept of, of cider cocktails uh, has a lot of versatility. Uh, you can use it as sort of a, a base in a cocktail, a slight accent, even, even a lighter alternative to simple syrup. Uh, the juicy, fruity notes can really complement a lot of drinks. And uh, we age on oak. Um, okay. the, the elderflower itself does not see any time on wood, but uh, Angry Orchard uh, crisp apple, the traditional dry, uh, those are all aged on oak. And those, those flavors really work well with uh, kind of you know, brown spirits, bourbons, things of that nature, other, other spirits that have spent some time in wood. And the flavors really work well together. One more quick question. I know with wine that the glassware you choose is really important. And even I've learned a little bit about different beer glasses, uh, you know, Pilsner versus Belgian beers. What kind of a glass is best to drink your ciders from? Ciders typically seen in a pub in a pint glass. And then just like the work... Um uh, we've you've done on kind of developing wonderful beer glasses that accentuate the flavors. Uh, the same should be said for for cider glasses. And you know, I, I like something with a little bit of a goblet shape. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be wouldn't be ashamed to drink it out of a wine glass. Um, you know, we've got a lot of similarities to wine in terms of fruit aromas and yeast character and oak character. And you really want a kind of round, bulbous goblet type shape to showcase the, some of those aromas and uh, and the presentation. Wonderful. Well, if folks want to find out more about Angry Orchard and your process and your products, where can they go? Uh, best location is our website, uh, angryorchard.com. Um, they can also find on there a, a cider finder, uh, which will show where to, where to find uh, the ciders um, in their local markets. Great. Well, I so appreciate all your time today. David Sipes, cider maker at Angry Orchard. These two are delicious, and I've appreciated uh, learning the history and some of the background on making cider. Absolutely. Thank you for having us on. Thanks. We'll be right back with Shauna Ahern, the gluten-free girl, on The Sipping Point. Discover the recipe for a delicious life each week on The Sipping Point with Lori Forster, the wine coach, each week, Saturdays at noon on WBAL 1090 AM or at WBAL.com. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach, and we've come to my favorite segment of every show, the Wine Sandwich of the Week. And that's where we sandwich great food with sips of delicious wine. And we've been talking a little bit about gluten-free and some delicious gluten-free cider. But for those of us who are a little intolerant of gluten, you have to cook and shop and do things differently than everyone else. So I brought an expert on to help us out with that. We have Shauna Ahern, and she's the author of the cookbook Gluten-Free Girl and the Chef, as well as her food memoir, which is Gluten-Free Girl and online, glutenfreegirl.com. She's been featured in the New York Times, Gourmet, Bon Appetit, Epicurious, well, just anything that has to do with food, basically. And her new cookbook just came out, The Gluten-Free Girl Every Day. Welcome to the show, Shauna. Thanks so much. It's lovely to be here. Ah, this is wonderful. So just to start out, you came to this, I think like most great entrepreneurs, out of a need of your own because mm. you found out you had an issue with gluten, correct? 
That's right. I was diagnosed with celiac at the end of April in 2005, so eight years ago now. And before that, I, I'm not sure I could have told you what gluten was other than it was in bread. Uh, but I certainly <laughs> know now. <laughs> I know where it is everywhere. Um, I had been really, really sick. And so when I finally got diagnosed with celiac, it was such a relief and a joy to be well again that I just embraced it and said yes to it. And, um, you know, and a tremendous life has occurred because of that. Oh, that's wonderful. So if folks have no idea about this, what mm. celiac is a disease where your body is not tolerant of glutens. So that's right. That's what, right. what are glutens? It's actually an autoimmune disorder. So uh-huh. if my body gets even a half a teaspoon of gluten, it reads it as poison, and it starts to send out antibodies to attack that poison and ends up destroying the small intestines. So that means you can't absorb your nutrients. You have all kinds of different, perhaps, digestive complaints. Some people have skin rashes. Some people, it expresses itself as migraines or infertility. There's about 300 symptoms of celiac. So um, there are a lot of reasons why people might be suffering. And then even besides celiac, there are people that could can still have a intolerance to gluten, even though they yeah. aren't fully, and just not feel good when they eat too much. So what Absolutely. things, besides bread, because we, we said that's kind of obvious, what are glutens and how do we know where to look for them? That's a great question. Gluten is the elastic protein that's in wheat, rye, and barley. It's also in all the ancient forms of wheat, such as farro or spelt or emmer, but those are a little easier to avoid in this culture. Um, and predominantly, it's going to be wheat. So, you know, it's, it's what you think of as typical bread, pasta, beer, pizza. Those are all actually really easy to make gluten-free, and that's one of our joys is showing people they can have those foods again. But it hides in different places you might not suspect, like soy sauce has wheat in it. And that's mm. one of the places people get sick most often. I also have to make sure that my shampoo is gluten-free. I'm not eating my shampoo, but if some of it gets into my mouth in the shower, that could make me sick. Wow. Um, the average American woman eats one pound of lipstick a year, which is kind of appalling. Um, and so I have to make sure that my lipstick is gluten-free. It's pretty intensive. Wow. I didn't even know that. Well, at your website, which is amazing, I have to say, Thank glutenfreegirl.com, you have all a lot of this information just about your story and right. um, I was so happy to find out that wine is okay. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Thank people. goodness for wine. <laughs> Yay! So you can still have wine. You can have hard cider like we were talking with Angry Orchard. Right. But with cooking and shopping, you have to be a little bit more careful. So I see you have all these amazing recipes on your website and in your cookbooks. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, what is the first thing someone should do if they need to start cooking gluten-free? Well, the first thing is to relax. There is so much great food that is naturally gluten-free. It's very human to focus first, excuse me, focus first on what you can't have and think, oh, I'll never have a croissant in, you know, Paris. But mm-hmm. how many of us are going to Paris, right? right. Um, <laughs> what you need to focus first on is, you know, peaches and great steak and um, arugula salads with goat cheese and mm. pot roast and potatoes. Just start, I, I think it's really helpful if people make a list of all the foods they love the most, cross off the ones that are gluten or move them to another list because you can maybe replicate them later, and right. just focus first on great vegetables, on fruit, on meats, on good grains like millet or sorghum or quinoa that people can eat, and you'll notice what a bounty there is. And once you start to approach it from a place of, you know, fullness and bounty rather than deprivation, mm-hmm. your life changes. 
Oh, that's great. Now, on the website, you know, in Baltimore here, we are serious about our crab and especially our crab mm. cakes. So mm-hmm. for our, for our gluten-free uh, people here that are listening, I found on your website Danny's Birthday Crab Cakes. And right. uh, Danny is your husband. He is. And, and he's he is a chef. professional chef. Yes. He is. And that has been enormously helpful in all this as well. <laughs> I bet. That's a great resource to have. So you guys came up with a recipe for crab cakes for people that have to go gluten-free. Yeah, they are. And, you know, it's interesting. My husband does not have to avoid gluten. He is a doll. When he when we first met, he changed his restaurant so that everything on the menu was gluten-free. I certainly didn't ask him to do that. But he said, you know, I want to feed you. I get so excited about new specials I've made, and I've put gluten in them. I can't share them with you. So I'll just take everything off the menu that has gluten. I'm like, <laughs> boy, you should marry me. <laughs> Aww, he sounds like a um, sweetheart. And so now... We don't have any gluten in our house. He, he on his own, chose to make the whole house gluten-free because he said, I'm, there's nothing I'm missing. I'm eating great food. So these are crab cakes that pass the test of a chef who can eat gluten and who also crab is one of his three favorite foods in the world. Mm. So you, you know they're darn good. They're darn yes. good. It, it's really easy. All you need to do is mostly get gluten-free breadcrumbs. Right. Um, and people should just be making their own breadcrumbs anyway. It's so much more tasty than the stuff in the package. All you need is any gluten-free bread, which, you know, is easy to find now in grocery stores. Uh, toast them or let them go stale, which happens quickly with gluten-free bread, so that's right. easy. Um, <laughs> and then just grind them up in the food processor, and you've got, you've got yourself some breadcrumbs. And then you can make any of your favorite crab cake recipes. I love that. And I'm going to post the link to your website with the recipe so folks can check that out. So you have your new book that just came out, Gluten-Free Girl mm-hmm. Every Day. Tell me how right. this book is different from Gluten-Free Girl and the Chef and your, of course, your food memoir. What are we going to get here in the everyday book um, that's, you know, that's that's new and different for you? Thank you. It's This is really a book about crafting a food life. The first you know, wave of being gluten-free, you just start, again, focusing on what you can't have and what you want to learn how to create. You know, hey, it's possible to make gluten-free pizza, let's go. But this is when you've really settled into it, and particularly for us, we have a four-and-a-half-year-old. Our food lives changed completely once we had a baby. Uh, Mm. We used to eat meals at midnight, and we would spend hours making sauces, and that's what our first cookbook is sort of driven by, that really wonderful life we had together. But it's even more wonderful now with a child, and she needs dinner at 530. (laughs) (laughs) We have it on the table. So it's a book about how to create great food for your family, that is not necessarily like, you know, it only takes 10 minutes and it only has three ingredients. It's about how to create a pantry of what you need, of good foods and whole grains and great produce. And then every chapter is a different strategy for getting dinner on the table. So there's mm. a stir-fry chapter and there's a whole grains chapter where you make a big pot of brown rice and here are three recipes you can make through the week with that same pot. Um, it's how to use a whole chicken through the week. Um, and then there's, of course, a dessert chapter because you have to have some apple pie once in a while, too. Of course. I love that. Yeah, things change. And, you know, we're we're just chatting for the first time here. I am also married to a chef. And mm. and I also have a, you know. a almost 10-year-old daughter. So I think this is a cookbook that I'm going to really resonate with because when he's working... I have to do the cooking, and now I have a very discriminating young lady um, at the uh-huh. dinner table, <laughs> so I have to be good. And um, so I really appreciate, you know, being able to cook, you know, in a wonderful way, but but easy and not taking mm-hmm. hours and hours to make the meal. 
Absolutely. One of the things I love is, like, for example, in the whole grains chapter, if you make that big pot of brown rice or millet or quinoa, don't make it just enough for that night's portion. Make a big pot and then spread it out on a sheet tray, let it cool, and then we freeze them in two-cup you know, bags, so Ziploc bags, lay them flat in the freezer, and you just got a stack of cooked whole grains ready to go. And it's time for dinner, pull out some quinoa, or make out some brown rice, make a a quick stir-fry rice, and it just, you know, takes 10, 15 minutes, but it's really good food. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, Also on your website, and I'm going to, I am seriously going to attempt this the next time I'm making dinner, (laughs) you have the halibut and papillote, which is, you cook the halibut in parchment paper, and I've seen this at restaurants before I've been served with that strategy, but it always seems a little hard or a little intimidating. But now that um, I'm reading your recipe, it looks like it's it's very easy to do. It's super simple. And this, that's part of what Danny and I both love to provide for people is, you know, there's a sense for anyone who is either has kids or, you know, maybe isn't as confident a cook. You think, well, all the great stuff comes out of a restaurant. And that's just not true. You can make tremendous food in your own kitchen. Um, and this is this is a technique that makes really healthy, lovely fish. You don't even use much oil. You maybe drizzle a couple of teaspoons on top. Uh, you wrap it up in parchment paper, and it's a little it's a little package. And you put whatever spices, whatever vegetables you want. You put it in the oven. You just let it do its thing for ten fifteen minutes, and then you have this lovely steamed fish with baby bok choy and baby carrots and tamari sauce, and super simple. It sounds fabulous. I really love it. And I'm going to try it, and I'll let you know how, how it comes out. Do. And then you'll see how easy it is, and you can do any fish this way. And that's really one of the things I like. It's been my trajectory of thinking, gosh, when I was first diagnosed, thinking I'll never eat in a restaurant again, because that's what people I used bet. to say, because it's too hard to eat. Well, certainly I'm married to a chef. I eat, I'm in San Francisco right now. We've eaten at three restaurants in the last two days. Uh, it's totally possible to eat at a great restaurant gluten-free but then you start realizing you don't want to spend all that money all the time, and why not make great food at home? I know. So for us, this is really a book for everyone. It's specifically for gluten-free folks, but about 80% of the dishes in the cookbook are just naturally gluten-free, and we hope everybody wants it. Well, you know, I have an app called The Wine Coach, which you, people will get to hear your uh, interview mm. in that, and there's great wines and all kinds of great resources, but you have an great. app for Gluten-Free Girl. Tell us how folks um, can check out your app and get all the great resources that you have there. Thanks. Well, we actually have been working with a wonderful designer and developer, and we did an app specifically for Thanksgiving. That seems to be the one place where people panic the most gluten-free because it's the starchiest holiday of all. <laughs> um, and so... We have recipes and videos on how to make that recipe um, for every single possible part of the meal, from the stuffing, the bread to make the stuffing, to the stuffing, to the pumpkin pie at the end. Um, but a lot of what's is applicable for this time of the year, too. There's a great sandwich bread recipe. There's a mashed potatoes recipe. There's anything you could use. And also we show how to set up a pantry and other things like that. We're working on a new app, which will be specifically for folks who are brand new to gluten-free. It's called the first 30 days, what do you need to know, what do you need to avoid, what is the kind of emotional part of it, and how you can treat yourself well so you can can get through this transition much more easily. Oh, I love it. Well, Shauna Ahern, author of Gluten-Free Every Girl Every Day, Gluten-Free Girl Every Day, and Mm -hmm. um, at glutenfreegirl.com. You've been a wealth of knowledge, and I know there are so many more people who are kind of facing this transition and I really appreciate your mm. support and um, it, folks if you want more information you can you can go to her website and uh, send her an email or buy her new cookbook 
Please do. It's been really <laughs> wonderful to talk with you, Lori. You were talking about a wealth of information. You are just wonderful. Oh, well, I really enjoyed this, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, enjoy San Francisco. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Cheers.